You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, uh, it's a good thing that markets are not partying like it's uh, October 1987 as we have the 33rd anniversary of uh, the 1987 Black Monday market crash. On that day, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 22.6%. In a single day, it's the equivalent to a drop of about six and a half thousand points in the index today. And we've actually seen Wall Street uh, open marginally higher on this 33rd anniversary. Uh, we uh, had a mm, solidish start to the week in some very thin trading. We ended uh, up uh, around 0.2% higher on the all share. And uh, looking by sector, just as my screen decides to refresh itself, uh, uh, we ended down in industrials by 0.6%. Resources marginally lower, 0.07. In the green were financials in a big way, up 3.1%. And the property index uh, up 1.4%. The gold uh, index ended uh, marginally weaker, down 0.8% as well. Uh, Lots of uh, good sentiment around um, retail and other data out of China. Uh, Drug maker Pfizer saying on Friday that it could have a vaccine ready in uh, the US by the end of the year. And all of that uh, has really meant a little bit of risk on again. We've got the Omnia Oro deal to talk about uh, and another one bites the dust as Afrox is said to be taken private. Lots to talk about with Greg Cuts and Allenburgen, Senior Portfolio Manager at Sunlum Private Wealth and Simon Brown, founder of Just One Lap. Simon, I always thought you were sleeping by now considering the time that you get up to do that morning show so uh, I'm always encouraged to chat to you at the end of the day the range the trading range on the JSE was narrower than an observatory side street after a night at Stones it really is quite pathetic uh, good evening Stephen uh, it's remarkable it absolutely is so I don't know Stephen comes from um, <laughs> and, and also on, on, on very light volume under 15 billion so far um, which is you know, let me remove the, the, the craziness of sort of the second quarter and even to a degree into the third quarter um, as, as you know, markets were collapsing and, and recovering. Um, what we're seeing here is, is, is volumes have been disappearing. It started fairly well today. Uh, at one point, we were actually even flat for the day after we pulled back. And as you said, at the end, it was absolutely tiny and uh, volumes just not coming through at all. Uh, Greg, uh, and uh, maybe Simon's got Stephen Sard on the brain. Uh, Aspen uh, was now on 0.86% on the day. Any themes to pick out of uh, the action that we saw today that uh, that really are a standout for you? Or is it just all about uh, waiting for this November 3 election to be done and dusted with so we can have uh, some, some fresh impetus and fresh catalysts for this market? Yeah, I think, well, look, the standout for me was obviously the... Um the stronger currency, Michael. So and that pushed up the local stocks, uh, particularly banks. But I think everybody's in a wait and see mo- uh, mo- um, you know, uh, mood at the moment. But I think if you what Simon said about the volumes, that is a big worrying thing on the jersey. You know, the volumes are down. So I think people are on the sidelines, the big players at the moment, waiting for what's going to happen in the U.S. Only a couple of weeks now. Um, and, uh, you know, volatility will probably, you, you mentioned today the anniversary and, uh, the Dow, the futures were strong all day, yet the Dow opened uh, down slightly. So, um, it's, there's concerns at the moment. It's all about the stimulus 
in uh, Washington, Nancy Pelosi putting in a deadline for tomorrow night, I think. Um, so market seems to believe there'll be a much smaller package passed, 500 billion. Don't know whether it will be enough to satisfy the market, but at the moment, uh, everyone seems to be moving to the sidelines. Yeah, uh, the Nasdaq, even the one that's been doing all the heavy list, lifting, uh, marginally lower as we speak down 0.15%. The S&P uh, 0.36% in the red. And as you said there, the Dow down 0.3%. Uh, Simon, interesting that, and to, and to Greg's point there, foreign institutional investors uh, continue to be uninterested in SA Inc., so to speak. But there's increasing action in the corporate space. We've seen Vivendi picking up uh, a stake in multi-choice. Linda on Friday making a play for Afrox. Today, Omnia selling a division to Oro Agri. Are they seeing something that institutional investors perhaps aren't? I think they're absolutely are, and, and they certainly see value. And there is, I mean, you know, you've seen you know, I'll show two trading updates into them, and, and absolutely new stocks, and that was AdCorp and Adaptarchy mm. um, that put out updates and saw the stocks sort of double on that sort of news. There, there is, there is certainly you know, value out there in the SA Inc., but it's not a case of just buy SA Inc. You, you, know, you need to pick and choose and, and, and make accounts and there's still some of it. There's still uncertainty. But I think in the private equity space, where they can sort of you know, go in and get a good sense and you know, kick the tires and the like, um, we're seeing a, a, a fair amount of interest. And I suspect we're probably going to see more, uh, probably more towards the, the delisting rather than just stakes as we saw with, with, with multi-choice. But I think uh, you know, there, there, there's some quality companies in our market who, you know, it's been tough for them, particularly, you know, we were in recession before the pandemic arrived. Um, but these little companies are operating well and, and you know, generating profits and, and, and immensely complexity. The, the problem for retail investors, I, I guess, Greg, is that we're going to see a lot less companies listed in a year or so. If you just look at the trend, um, JSE listings are already down a third since 2000. It's a global trend. Companies can now go private. Uh, private markets are a lot more sophisticated, so you don't have to be listed and uh, put up with all of the complex uh, regulatory requirements and the costs of uh, being listed. Uh, it's sad for retail investors, though, because your universe of investable um, opportunities just shrinks. Well, the universe of investable South African opportunities is shrinking, will continue to probably shrink. But as you might have noticed, like I think it's RMB or FNB listed some ETNs where you can trade now um, Alphabet and Microsoft and all these. So you might find that local um, South Africans will do more trading in the future on these sort of instruments on foreign-based shares. But you're quite right that it's it's sad that, uh, you know, the number of companies, um, the number is dwindling uh, more and more every year. Uh, just uh, sticking with that offshore theme for a little bit longer, Simon, we're uh, a couple of weeks away from that uh, U.S. election. Um, we uh, are going to be hosting a special panel with the Professor John Stremlau of Wits University and Brooke Spector on the 2nd. Uh, both seem to believe that a blue wave is a done deal. Can we be sure, even though the pollsters are saying it and uh, we, we just, it, they got it so wrong last time around, can we be sure? 
So the short answer, Michael, is no. In a two-horse race, you know, it's never a, a, a certain bet whatsoever. Um, and, and of course, the electoral college uh, complicates things. Now, you know, the House of Representatives, that's easy, the presidency and Senate. And, and, and you know, taking Democrats getting the Senate would be a biggie. Um, but I was reading uh, some, some work by Nate Silver uh, out of the U.S. today, and he says even if you... It is a 3% move towards Trump in the last two weeks, which is what happened in 2016, and a 3% margin of error. Uh, the race is still only close. Um, so there's a lot to be done. But uh, it, 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 there's still 15 days before the election is over. How, who knows how long before they're sort of finished with uh, the, the counting and we get a result. But, uh, I mean, the bookies are, are, are pricing it. It's sort of, you know, uh, giving Trump a, a, a 12 or 13% chance of winning, which importantly means that if you run this election 100 times, Trump wins 12 times. So it certainly isn't a certainty. It isn't a certainty. And uh, I guess what markets, Greg, will be looking for is a result either way. Uh, if, you get, if you get a contested election, that throws a whole bunch of uncertainty into the equation. So uh, the, the, the best thing that can happen is just a, a clear um, result either way uh, in order for this to be a, a fairly muted uh, event in terms of moving the markets. I think that's 100% correct, Michael. You would you want some certainty, and I don't believe anyhow that, you know, even if there's a contest, that if it becomes clear that one or the other candidate lost, I do believe that the hundreds of years of tradition will come into play and uh, the, the losing party will step aside um, uh, quietly. I, I firmly believe that. But for me, it's not that actually important who wins the White House. I think it's more important who wins the U.S. Senate. Mm. Because that is where, you know, if there is a blue wave, as uh, as some people have posited, then um, there's a very good chance that Trump's tax cuts are going to be reversed and taxes might go up and that could have quite a negative effect on, on the U.S. market. Um, going forward. So I think that's the closest. And at the moment, it seems that Senate race is a toss-up. So, yeah. um, but even as you say, you know, the, the blue wave, I just remember how wrong pollsters were in the last election. Now, you know, they say lightning doesn't strike twice. But, huh. um, <laughs> you know, it, it's you could find. But the fact is, in the last election, Trump got 46% of the vote and Hillary Clinton got 48 and um, so if maybe if Trump loses 1% or so and gets 44, but Biden can manage to hold on 48. You, the thing is, in America, you can still not win the popular vote, but you can still become president. Because of that so electoral so college. Many, yeah. Yes, and yeah. so many factors come into place. You know, you've said just anecdotal evidence of uh, reading about people who have been living in two of the biggest democratic states like New York and California and have all been looking to emigrate or semigrate out of those states into more tax-friendly jurisdictions. So I just think that it's going to be a lot closer than people believe this election. And, uh, um, you know, so I wouldn't be uh, banking on a complete uh, one-sided that's where I see these uh, headlines around blue waves and I just think setting yourself up for um, disappointment. I think if that is your expectation, if, if uh, that is your political persuasion and leaning and a very interesting point in Investec note this morning, looking at Biden's town hall last week which attracted 13.9 million viewers on Disney's ABC according to Nielsen and uh, that's versus 13.1 million for Trump across Comcast's channels. So that suggests a 
far closer race than what some of the pollsters are saying as well. Uh, Simon, oil, OPEC meets today and tomorrow. Uh, talking about cuts for the next year. The thing about OPEC is it is only about uh, as strong as its uh, uh, weakest member. And when prices rise, it's always very tempting to go and uh, pump a little more. What are you expecting? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. OPEC's heyday really was in the 70s. Um, and, and since then, there has been a, a continual slide, not just in their ability to, to, to sort of keep their members strict, but also as they bring in new members, OPEC Plus and the like, they've got two bigger issues than, than really their production. Notwithstanding the price wars they, they managed to create back in April. Uh, one is demand, and, and I was you know, looking at stats earlier today in terms of, of in America, uh, you know, how many people are eating out, how many flights are taking off, etc. And those numbers are still way, sort of more than 50% off uh, January, February sort of level. So just demand for hydrocarbons is, is significantly down. And of course, as soon as the price does start to rise up again, uh, all those shell operators in the US level will come back up again. Um, so you know, the, the, the OPEC crisis is, is, is real. Um, and I think they're going to struggle in the current environment. You know, if we had a global GDP of you know, 3 or 4% or some crazy number like that, eventually. Um, you know, they've, they've got a better space to operate in. But the level of, of, of weakness and weak demand for, for oil is just at this point, you know, to use a, an overused word in 2020, it really is unprecedented. And that is their biggest challenge. And, and they've got, they can't drive that process at all. That's, you know, that's self-care. Oh, unprecedented. Don't uh, use overused words. Let's pivot to our next story. Omnia, uh, Greg, uh, recommends the disposal of Oro Agri for about 2.7 billion rand. And I think management under Seal and Gobblesami ha- have certainly delivered on their promise. Uh, shareholders have stuck by them through the rights issue. The share price is up, I think, over 200% uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, would, you, uh, would you say this is a deal uh, to take with both hands? Well, I would say that, look, they did quite well. I think they only bought this business in 2018 or somewhere around there. Mm. And they've made, they've made a significant profit on it. So I would take it because it, it just narrows their focus on, you know, agri and um, uh, mining. And uh, I think it's a good deal for, for shareholders. Uh, the, the interesting, I, I liked what they said when, you know, they're going to look long and hard at any um you know, acquisitions um, in the future. So they're going to be a lot wiser with capital allocation. And that's mm. always good to hear. But um, mm-hmm. I think, yes, it was a good deal for them. No, and think... this is what's happening. You're seeing all over, I mean, even with Afrox now, you know, international companies are looking around the world where they can take advantage of um, companies not quite distressed, but um, where they can, you know, drive a harder bargain now or, in, in acquisitions. Please just don't let them be taking advantage of South African management teams looking to grow outside of South Africa. We've had just one too many of those failures uh, for the last 10 years to stomach. Greg Cuts and Allen Senior Portfolio Manager at Sullen Private Wealth and Simon Brown, founder of Just One Lap, but with your view from the market.